Last week, uh, the launch of our Murfreesboro campus was the very first day for LifePoint Murfreesboro. And uh, let me tell you what we did. Both campuses, Smyrna and, and Stewart's Creek, kind of combined to really send about 200 people over there to be church planners uh, for the launch of that campus. Uh, after the end of the day last Sunday, they had about 480 people at that campus in that school. That is a huge praise. You can clap for that. Yeah. Very good. Man, that's incredible, incredible. They're finding, you know, where to do with the space issues now. Where do we go? That's a huge, huge praise. If you are uh, maybe new to our church, been coming in for a while, but really haven't felt the pulse um, of our church, let me let you know, let me summarize what we're about at LifePoint. We are a sending church. Uh, we are not a church that is interested in getting a lot more members, right? We want more missionaries, all right? We don't want to be a church that is uh, two inches deep and a mile wide. Those kind of uh, people don't change the world. We want to make disciples who become missionaries. All Christians are called to be missionaries, you need to understand that. That's not for the people that go across the country and get Ninos and have, don't have Wi-Fi and drink out of water bottles. That's not missionaries. All Christians are called to be missionaries. All right? So we don't want to... Uh, if, if we try to just make church and hoping that we get missionaries and disciples, we rarely will get that. But if we can make disciples that become missionaries, the church will always just naturally happen. Right? God saved us to send us, not to sit on our own salvation, but to go. Uh, Romans 10, Paul is going to tell us when we get there, but Romans 10 says, how will people believe in Jesus if they never hear about Jesus? How are they going to hear if someone doesn't tell them, and how are they going to tell them if someone is not going or not, uh, not being sent to those places? So that is what we're about, sending people. God saved us to send us. All right, we're trying to do that in every part of every domain of your life. This is where you come in. We send people to Bangkok, to Brussels, uh, Brazil, Murfreesboro campus. Um, even this week, uh, we've got a LifePoint Stewart's Creeker named Sarah Region who's going to be going to live in Kurdistan uh, for a year, serving as a teacher in that country to reach lost people. Uh, so we send people out all of the time, but it's not just about a location a destination. We want you to live in every domain of your life as missionaries, in your neighborhoods, at your jobs, at your schools, at the ball field. Uh, everywhere you go, you are to be a missionary on mission for God, seeking to save souls for Jesus. That's why he saves you, not just to praise you and get you rescued and get your seat in the, uh, the VIP section in heaven, not for that purpose. It's saved you to, to send you out. So you need to understand that and rest in that truth. Uh, what we're also doing, uh, we, don't, we don't want to do this. We don't want to send out tourists, uh, good citizens, and honest employees. Right? That's not what we're about. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to send out true missionaries. And here's the deal. True missionaries are rooted in the gospel. Like it's their lifeblood. It's the very motivating, motivating factor of their entire being. And it's invaded all areas of their life. They study the gospel. They know the gospel. They live out the implications of the gospel. 
Because if we don't, then we're sending out tourists and just good employees and honest citizens of the community. That's not what we're trying to do. What happens is, is when you fully grasp and you're passionately pursuing to understand the implications of the gospel, I'm still studying those today, to be honest. Man, I never stop. If, if you get to that point, the result of that is you living on mission everywhere you go. It is out of that understanding that you are able to live sent at your schools, in your community, on the ball field. Out of the understanding and the studying of the gospel, you will not get to a point where you just become a better Christian to go share the gospel. I'm just going to get better. I fall short every day. I just, one day I'll get it. No, it is out of the pursuit and studying the gospel because it becomes so bold and so imprinted in your mind and your heart, you can't shut up about it. And you'll walk out with a newfound boldness when you're rooted in the gospel. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, go Romans 5. Get there and get ready. Uh, we're going to go verses 6 through 11 today. Um, really, where we started this brand new series last week, calling it The Glorious Exchange. This is the exchange that you and I get to make with God when we get to exchange our condemnation for justification. We get to exchange our alienation from God to unlimited access to God. We get to exchange Jesus' death for our life. Being an enemy of God to being a child of God. Being an orphan to being a son or a daughter. That is a glorious exchange, and that's what we're looking at in all of those implications. Last week, uh, in verses uh, 1 through 5... Uh, by the way, if you didn't come last week, maybe you missed it, and you want to stay up with us on your, um, your LifePoint app now, right? You can go and look at all the sermons from each campus. That's a new feature. Uh, you used to be able to just see Smyrna campus, but you can get all three campuses now, so just catch up with us where we're at. Um, last week, Paul laid out some of the benefits of being justified. Okay, he says, now that you're justified by grace through faith, not by your works. These are the implications. These are the benefits from that. We learned that uh, we got, I think there's three or four benefits in there. Today, we're going to give out two more benefits that are in the text. Um, and those are that we are loved by God. That's a benefit. And then also that we are secured um, in His life. We are secured in our salvation in His life. That's kind of our bottom line theme today. And we're going to dig in and uh, let's pray before we do that this morning. Father, we, uh, we love coming into your presence this morning. You are Father to us. You are Lord to us. You are Savior. You are God. You are Holy Spirit. You are all of those things to us. And your name is above all other names in this world. Any name that could come out of our mouth is not worthy to take your place. So, Father, we give you the praise and the honor. We stay rooted in that. God, I pray today that as people have come into the room, that they are able to lay down burdens, their shame, their guilt, their condemnation, their pride, their arrogance, their comfortability, their anxiety, their apathy, their comfortability. God, I pray we lay all of those things down at your feet so then we can become clean vessels so you can work through us. That is what I pray for this morning. Teach us through this text. Let it penetrate our hearts, take root. God, grow it 
All we do is speak it, and you do the growing. So I pray that you do that today through your spirit. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm going to read through the entire text. I wanted us to get a, a big picture of the entire passage, and then we'll come back and unpack it. Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Sounded really cool in Spanish. I'll tell you that. I love listening to that this morning. Um, here's what basically uh, that he's letting us know in this passage um, is that, that we are loved by God. We are loved by God. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But it, it, through the doors today, some many uh, have walked in and said, man, how could God love me? He, well, the things that I've done to God and spit in His face and rebelled and fallen short, how can God love me? And then other people walked in and said, how could God not love me? I'm so lovable. I'm so good. I'm so adorable. Look at all the good things I've done in my entire life. Surely God loves me. Well, here's what I want to know or let you know. In this text, Paul is laying out a, a level playing field for all people. And if we are going to understand the glorious love of God, the first thing we've got to realize is how unlovable we are. All of us. At birth, we're all unlovable. Now, here's what Paul did um, in Romans 1 through 4. If you remember, Paul basically broke us down to nothing. Uh, he crushed us at the very being of who we are, called us every name in the book. And then last week, he comes in, kind of builds us up. We get this benefits of our justification. All right, we get feeling pretty good, right? I got all these great benefits now. Well, Paul... Therefore, God in the Scriptures doesn't want us to rest in that comfortability too much and pat ourselves on the back and feel too good. So now what he's done in 6 through 11, he's come up with four new adjectives to let us know how unlovable we really are. All right, I want you to underline these in that text. First, he's going to tell us that we're weak. Then he's going to tell us we're ungodly. Feeling pretty good right now. Third one, he's going to tell us that we are enemies. And then fourth, he's going to tell us that we're sinners. All right, He is going to let us know how unlovable we really, really are and get us back to being centered in Christ's love, not because of what we did. So here's what we'll do. Let's go six, and we'll break it down. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Weak. He calls us weak. And here's what he's basically saying. That because of sin, because of our separation from God, we are too weak and we were powerless to save ourselves. That is the position that we're in. We're weak people. Now you've often maybe heard uh, the statement of, 
God helps people that help themselves, right? Sounds good. Horrible theology. It's bad. It's dead wrong. God helps people that realize and confess that they're too helpless to save themselves. That's when God comes in. He's not saving strong people. He's not calling equipped, awesome people. He says, I want the weak people. And I'll even use weak people to shame the strong. All through Scripture, he's taking the strong, the proud, and he's putting their face in the ground and he's humbling them and bringing them to their knees. All right? That's what he does. He wants us to embrace our weakness and tell us that we are powerless to do anything to reconcile ourselves to God. In the Scriptures, nowhere in the Bible does man or woman get so uh, good that they work so hard that they pull themselves up by their bootstraps, they work really, really hard, they muster up enough strength, enough good works, where they are strong enough to come to God. Nowhere in Scripture does it show that. Like I said, the opposite is anybody who's trying to do that, God crushes them and defeats them. He says, I'm trying to bring you to a place of weakness. Embrace your weakness. Life points to its creek. Our culture doesn't like the word weakness. They don't like to embrace weakness. And I'm telling you to embrace your weakness because God's power is never more vividly displayed than through weak vessels. That's me. That's you. Be weak. All right? Now, here's one of the, 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 the digs against Christianity that the world says that I'm going to agree with. Now, Christianity is for weak people. Absolutely. Christianity is a crutch. Amen. It's a crutch. My legs are busted. My legs are broken. I need a crutch. Bring it on. You need one. Christianity is for weak-minded people. Amen. Absolutely. I've got a weak mind. Give me a right mind. Give me a strong mind. My, my flesh is weak. I'm weak. Make me strong in you. So absolutely, is Christianity for weak people? You better believe it is. And you can't ever come to Christ if you don't understand that you are weak and powerless to change who you are at the core. Embrace your weakness. All right? Um, in, in the rest of this, uh, the, um, we would pray. This is how, uh, basically, how God starts the process of salvation. That you admit that you're too weak to do anything about who you are. Your core, your nature. You can't change yourself. You're actually the problem. All right? So we pray that you would get to a position this week. I pray that you get to a position for those that have not yet surrendered to Christ or even those that are in Christ that are still not embracing their weakness because we just sang a minute ago that in our weakness, He's glorified, right? That's when He looks the best is when we are at our weakest. He's going to pick the weakest, puniest kid on the playground to play on His kickball team because when He wins, He is glorified, not you, all right? Now, here's what, here's what I want you to know. You cannot change yourself at your core and your nature, you're weak and you're powerless. And I want to give you an example of this. The, uh, the Bible clearly says that homosexuality is wrong. All right? Well, the, 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 that community would propagate a lie and say, they're born that way. Can't change who we are. That is a half-truth 
And that's worse than a whole lie. Now, here's what I want you to know. The half-truth is, yes, they are weak and powerless. They cannot change themselves at the core, just like me, just like you, just like a sex trafficker, a drug pusher, a murderer, a rapist, too powerless, too weak to change who they are at the core. So that's true. But the lie is that they can't change, that Jesus can't do it for them. That is what Jesus does. He takes people just like that and changes us at the core of our nature. And he can do that. And that's the lie that they don't tell you. They don't embrace that. Right? Everything else is behavior modification. All right? You can go to Barnes & Noble and get every bestseller self-help book you want to and try to change your behavior modification. But here's the problem. You are the problem. At your core, at your nature, you cannot fix yourself. Only Jesus can do that. Right? We're too weak and we're too powerless to change who we are. All of our behavior mod doesn't do it. Our increased church attendance doesn't do it. Our listening to the Way FM on the way to work doesn't do it. All right? Getting a tattoo of a scripture on our arm won't do it. Only Jesus can change you at the core. Don't try to do anything to muster up power and strength in you. Then Paul calls us, if we're not down already weak, he calls us ungodly. Before Christ, separation from God at birth, we're ungodly people. Now, we don't, we don't like to look at ourselves as ungodly, do we? Right? Even from birth, we don't look at a baby and say, look at this dirty little ungodly sinner. We don't do that. By the way, don't do that. Because they might go tell on you and DCS is going to snatch your kids up. Don't do that. But we don't do that. So we look at ungodly and we say, okay, what's ungodly? Right? The love child of Magic Mike and Miley Cyrus. That's ungodly. All right? But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about ungodly as we're all born into the world. We are We have no ability to be like God because we've taken His place. We create our own moral system. What's right? What's wrong? I want to be God. I'll do it my way. We have no ability to please God. We are ungodly people. So the legalistic church lady who never misses a Sunday is as ungodly as the sex trafficker snatching up teens for financial gain. Right? Ungodly. We're all ungodly. Now here's what people like to do as well. They'll take a passage out of context and they'll say, well, we were created in the image of God. Right? God made us to look like Him. Uh, Therefore, I'm godly. I mean, I'm like God. He created me in in His image. Well, the problem is, is people that say that, they don't know the context. That Genesis 127 was pre-fall. That was before Adam's rebellion in the garden. That was before we inherited all that sin nature in us. So we are no longer like God. We're very ungodly people because of the sin and the separation between us and God. We're ungodly people. All right, I promise he's going to build us up in a minute. Uh, He's just not letting us celebrate too much. Um, So let's stay on course. Stay on course. Paul's let us know we're weak, powerless, and ungodly. So if you ever thought that you had anything to do with your salvation or can have anything to do with your salvation, 
You're dead wrong. Paul's saying, no way. I'm leveling the playing field for all people. The people that grew up in the church and the people that grew up in the club, all right? We're all on level playing ground in here. Um, so in this also, too, we, we also don't want to get confused. Christ died for the ungodly, right? All people on the face of the earth are ungodly. Does that mean all people on the face of the earth are saved? Absolutely not. Are all people going to heaven? Absolutely not. That's called universalism. And that's bad theology too. The scriptures clearly say that when God did rescue us, we were ungodly, but the only ones that are saved are the ones that believe, trust, surrender, lay down their lives, take themselves off of the throne and put God on it in their life. Those are the only ones, the only ones that will experience God, that will become godly. This is the glorious exchange, too. All right, we get to exchange our ungodly nature. Now we get actually the Spirit of God in us. It's complete opposite, ungodly. And then God says, hey, I don't want to just reconcile myself. I'm actually going to go one up. I'm going to breathe a part of my inner being, who I am, a part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to breathe it in, in you. So it's going to dwell in you a peace of God in every one of his believers in the world. That is a glorious exchange. To ungodly, to having a peace of God in you, that's incredible. All right? And here, here he goes. He also calls us sinners. These are people that rebel against the authority of God and, and worship ourselves rather than God. Now, here's what I want you to know. If I said today, hey, do I have any liars in the room? Probably not a lot of hands go up, right? I'm, I'm not a liar. No way somebody would claim that. But, then, but we lie, right? We lie. So you're a, hold on. So you, you're not a liar, but you lie. So, okay, so you're a liar that doesn't lie. All right? I'm confused. I'm all over the place. I don't even know what you're trying to talk about. We don't like to embrace that, do we? So when, we, when Paul comes at us and says we're all sinners, man, here's what we do. Man, I'm not a sinner. I just sin sometimes. I ain't perfect. I'm not, I'm not as bad as Joe over there. Joe's a trafficker. Joe gets drunk every weekend. Jenny over there, man, she is... Looking at porn and lusting, and man, I'm not like these people. I'm not that adulterous. I'm not that rapist. I'm not those people. But the problem is, is we never ever want to compare our own sin to other people. If you do that with your mouth, you are in trouble. Because the only thing you measure, we measure ourselves up to, is Jesus. His standard is perfection. We all look horrible. Standing next to that. Every single one of us. Don't ever fall into the trap of saying, I'm not like them. Say, I'm not like Jesus. I want to be. I'm going to fight with everything i got to be like him. I will never reach it. But don't ever try to compare yourself to other people in the world because we're all ungodly. We're all sinners. All right? And the last thing he calls us is enemies. All right? Just like we don't think we're ungodly, just like we don't think we're weak, he says that we're at war. Anyone who's not surrendered to Jesus is an enemy of God. There's hostility between you and God. Now here's the, here's the 
the, the, the theme of that is God's trying to say how unlovable that we truly, truly are. He loves us not because of us, but in spite of us. That's the beauty of the whole thing. Because here's the deal. Here's why you need to know that and why you need to love it. Because if he loved you and me only because we're lovable, then the minute that I become unlovable, which is often, you, often, then you can lose God's love because you're not lovable. Right? But if he loved you at your darkest, your weakest, being an enemy, if he loved you at that moment, he's going to love you in spite of you. And you will never lose God's love when he is your child, when you've been reconciled to him. Never question how much God loves you. All right? That's the amazing truth in this passage. Let's keep going. Romans 5, 7 through 8. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's a good question for your small group today, uh, people that you're studying with, uh, going to lunch with. How many people would you die for? Who would you die for? Right? There's stories of of, of husbands that would die for their wives and their kids. Noble thing. I would do that. Right? But my list is probably small like yours, loved ones. Right? Man, there's a, a, a soldier. There's stories of soldiers that, uh, that, that die for their friends in battle. Right? They, they would lay down their life. I'm going to jump on a grenade for my friend. That's a hero. Right? What about if you heard a story of a soldier that had been snatched up by, by uh, ISIS terrorists in Iraq. He's a POW, and they've got him. And every day they torture him. They break his teeth and they break his legs. They, he's malnourished. They're not feeding him every single day. Enemy. And then the American Special Forces mount an operation to come in and rescue that POW. They come in. They throw a grenade into the enemy camp. The POW sees that grenade, and goes and dives on the grenade to save his enemies. What? No one does that except for Jesus. That is what he does. All of us are his enemies from birth. Christ died for his enemies, not for his friends. He died for weak people, not strong people. He died for ungodly people, not godly people. No one would ever do that in our own human finite minds. But Jesus died for his enemies, me and you. It's an incredible picture of the gospel right there. Now look here. We, we, we've kind of gone through a lot of stuff in Romans where, where Paul had beat us up pretty good called us a lot of names, we're object of his wrath, we're weak, we're, we're ungodly, we're sinners, we're enemies. And some of you are like, God, can we talk about God's love? Why don't you talk about our, God's love, R.C.? Come on. The first thing I would say, it's not in the text that we've been reading. Okay? If it's in the text, I promise you, I'm going to preach it. Here it is, right here, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Now here's what I want you to know. This is 
God's demonstration of love when we were all in that weakened, ungodly, enemy state, sinners. This is his demonstration and his act of love right here. He died for us. This is the only form of God's love that has saving power in your life. This text does not say God showed his love for us that while we were sinners, he turned the other way. He compared your sin to others and it didn't look so bad. His eyes were turned on something else and he missed it behind him. Absolutely not. This is the only form of the love of God. Everyone in the room wants God's love. Raising their hand, I'm quite sure everybody say, yeah, I want God to love me. Be confident. Without Jesus, apart from Jesus, you will not experience the love of God. You will experience the wrath of God. This is it right here. This is the gift. This is the the extension of his love. He says, you want my love? Here it is. If you don't take Jesus' hands, you're not going to experience my love. Now, theologians kind of break down some different levels of love um, that God has. And I'm going to give you a couple of them. The first one will be called uh, benevolent love. And that's, a, that's kind of an overarching uh, affection that God has for the entire human race. Uh, it's basically like, I'm going to let you breathe today. Right? That's kind of, the, that's, I'm going to allow you to breathe today and wake up. That's a benevolent love. It's a goodwill kind of love. God's not hateful. He's not against you. All right? That's a benevolent love. Can't save, but that's a version of it. The second would be a beneficent love. And that's actually an act or an expression of that love, which is, uh, let's say, uh, rain, right? We need rain in our life. The birth of a child, a cureness, uh, a cure from, from illness, that is a, a beneficent love, an expression for all regenerate people, all reprobate, all people in the world, a beneficent love. But neither of those two have saving power. Nothing. Neither one of those ways. The only way is by God's unconditional supreme love. That's the love you want. That is the love that is reserved only for his followers, his believers, that have trusted in him for salvation. It says, it's a satisfied love. It says, God, God says, I'm satisfied in you. Because of Jesus on the cross, I'm satisfied in you. Supremely satisfied. There's nothing else that you can do to make me love you more or less. It's been satisfied. That is the only kind of love that you want. That enough right there? Man, many, many people have been saved. Many men have been saved for far less words than that right there. Anybody in the room today that's not surrendered to Jesus? I'm going to pause for just a moment. If simply you want God's love and not his wrath, it's this simple. Here's the gift right there. I want God's love. I want it through Jesus. It's the only way I'm going to get it. That's your step. That's the gospel right there. Don't complicate it. That's it. That invitation is for you today. I want God's love. At the end of service, you can just walk back there and say, I want God's love. I don't have it. That's all you got to do. Take a step and, and do that today. Let's keep going.
Let's go Romans 5, 9 through 11. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, pause right there. If, if while we were enemies, God reconciled us to himself, much more now that we are to are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through the our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. Put nine back up. I want to make sure we understand what justified by his blood means. All right? We are made right before God by the blood of Jesus, not the liquid. Although he shed liquid blood, this is a symbolic nature. We looked at this through Exodus, when the Passover. When God says, take the blood of the lamb, put it over your doorpost, and I will pass through, I will pass over you. He's saying that you and I, if you follow Jesus, you're justified by his blood. The blood of Jesus shed for sinners is how you are made right. Now, I always like to paint this picture because it's a good illustration. When you stand before God in judgment, Hebrews 9, 27, you get one shot. Not purgatory, no waiting, holding cell, straight to judgment. When you get there, if God looks upon you and he sees you, you're in trouble. You will be separated from God. He will cast you out in eternity, away from him, separated from him. That's what he's going to do. But if he looks at you and he sees the blood of Jesus justified by his blood, if he sees the blood of Jesus, reconciliation, invitation, come into me, come into my presence. God is the gift of heaven. Come into me, your reward. All right, that's how we're justified when we say justified by his blood. Now, here's what it also says. It says, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is what we're saved from. Many people think that they're just saved from hell. All right, now here's what I want you to know. That's not what the text says. It says that we're saved by God from God. Hell is not the absence of God. It is the wrath of God. All right? We're saved from God by God. Grasp that. So this is why we shouldn't fear hell. We should fear God. He's the authority over heaven and hell. Right? That's what this text is saying. Now let's keep going because the theme of this next verse in 10 is about reconciliation. All right, here's what I want to explain to you. Reconciliation is different than justification. Justification, we looked at last week, is a legal declaration a legal term that says you are not guilty you've been exonerated by the charges jesus took your punishment you were guilty but he said i'll take it and he served your sentence justification justified it's a very impersonal declaration it's like a legal term god says justified done final reconciliation is a very personal matter it says god reconciled us to him it says you were guilty enemy weak ungodly and now i'm inviting you in to reconcile the relationship between me and you and i'm now calling you a child not just innocent not just exonerated of charges go on you're good no but an invitation into being a child of god 
God reconciled us to himself. We did not. It's the theme of the whole thing. And here's the, the good part as we kind of wrap up. The, the second half of that bottom line, we are, we are secured by his life. Here's what it's saying. In this text, the, the words much more is mentioned twice. This is a form of, of an argument called the greater and the lesser. If the greater thing is true, then the lesser thing is very much true. And here's what he says. He says, if I saved you, if I rescued you when you were an enemy of mine, would I not do more for you? Would I not save you by my life? Like, like when you were the, at your very worst, your darkest, I saved you then. Now that you're mine, will I not fulfill my promises now that you're a child of mine? I will hold your security, your salvation until the end of time, until it's completed. Man, we, we come from, some people come from different denominations where you think you can lose your salvation. Man, I, I pray that you get delivered from that uncertainty. That uncertainty will hold you captive. We talked about that last week. God says, if I saved you at your darkest, don't you think I'm going to hold you to the end? If, if I did for you the best, don't you think I'm going to hold you and secure you to the rest till it's completed? Of course he will. We have assurance of salvation, security. All right, the guys are going to come back up, and let's wrap this up today. And here's what happens, church. Here, here's what happens if we can understand our weakness, our ungodliness, us being enemies, and us being sinners. Here's where that takes us. It takes us of no longer looking within ourselves to fix ourselves. It's no longer, the power's not in me anymore to do anything with my life. So I stop saying, God, I'm going to do better for you today. I'm going I'm to really work on myself, God, to get your approval and work hard for you. He says, no, you won't. Because the power isn't in you to do it. You cry out to God and say, God, make me stronger. God, make me more powerful. God, make me more obedient. Through your power, I will do that. That's the way God wants to look at us. And when you understand all of the implications of the gospel, because that's what it's about. It's about humility. The gospel puts us down. Those who are humbled will be exalted when we get to that level of humility, here's what it does. It cuts the legs out of anyone with Christian swagger and arrogance. Cuts them out because God says, you didn't do anything. I saved you. I did it. The power isn't in you. It's in me. You're weak. I'm strong. I'm godly. You're not. Cuts them out, man. It frees us up. The gospel gives us freedom. Now, here's what kind of freedom it gives. It gives me the freedom to be able to preach to you on Sunday and not be fearful of what your response is going to be, to be quite honest. Now, I love you. I do. But I don't buckle in fear and say, I hope they like this message. I hope they come back next week. Man, I don't do that. Because... God says, I want you to be obedient to the scriptures. 
And I fear God a lot more than I fear you. I seek His approval, not yours. That's the way it lines up in the Bible. I say that in a very loving way. And here's what, it, here's what it do, it'll do for you. All right? Understanding the gospel and all of its implications. I'm talking about studying, resting, laying your life down repeatedly every day to what the gospel says. It will free you up in the same way. It will free you up from the anxiety, the fear that you have today of sharing your testimony in front of people. You won't just get there on your own. One day I'll just be a better Christian and I'll be able to stand up and share God boldly. You get there by studying the Bible, studying the gospel. It causes you, out of understanding that, it causes you to really live sin in your community. Not as a citizen, but as a missionary. Right? You live sin at your schools. You're no longer afraid of what your friends might say because you far more care about God's approval than you do your friends at school, at your job, your co-workers. I want to make peace with them. Jesus was the Prince of Peace. I need to make peace with everybody at work. No, you don't. You're a missionary to preach Christ. And that lack of boldness, that lack of, of just... Man, just angst in you to get it out. That lack comes from a lack of knowledge about the implications of the gospel. When you start to passionately study and understand it, you are going to be so bold for Christ. You can't shut up wherever you go. Man, today, I, there's some, as we talk about the gospel often, here's what we tell you why. Because you can know every Bible story from Jonah to Abraham, Daniel, all through New Testament, all the cool miracles, all the stories. You can know the whole thing, but if you don't know the gospel in its entirety and dwell in that, those don't mean anything. Those are all shadows of the gospel. It is the root, it is the story of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's it. Everything else flows out of it. You can't study it enough. So today, as I, as I talk through that, man, if you were like, what is the gospel? That word is foreign to me. What did Jesus really do for me? I don't understand it. Why am I an object of his wrath? What are you talking about? Here's what I want you to know. Your current position with God is hostility, not peace. You want peace? God makes peace through his son Jesus. You want to become a child of God instead of an enemy? It's through Jesus. You want life through his death? It's through Jesus. Only God can do that. Go talk to someone today about that. Man, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I love you so much. We love you so much. This church loves you so much for how you're actively working and penetrating the hearts of our people with an understanding of the good news of Jesus. God, the truth is that out of this reality that we can become missionaries for you, disciples for you, 
that are sent into a community that is lost, that is broken, that is hungry and thirsty for God, for you. Strengthen our people, God. Let us know uh, when we are weak, we lay our weakness down to you. We never are prideful in saying that we're strong people. We're weak. We rest in your strength. All because of Christ. So we pray it in his precious and holy name. Amen.